We are in Ephesians chapter 5, and I did make a change. We were going to go 8 to 14, and I made it 8 to 10, and I know I changed it on that line, but it does not seem that it appeared on yours. So we are going 8 to 10, and spending a little bit more time looking at an example of what Paul is talking about. But if you as a child of light walk in darkness, what are the repercussions? What will happen to us if we walk that way? Paul has spent a number of verses looking at the differences between light and darkness, and now he's exhorting us to order our behavior in the light, not in the darkness that we once did. So what can we expect to happen if we ignore this warning and if we pick up habitual sins or lifestyle sins? So to get that answer, we're going to look at some people in the Word who once walked in the light but went back to walk in darkness. And we'll find out why Paul is so passionate about people staying in the light. Last week we looked at how to become an imitator of God. First off, stop imitating the world that is around us or the people who prosper in it. Second, stop doing the things that are against the nature of God. Not all are as striking as the ones mentioned here, but watch out for attitudes of pride, thinking I'm better than others. Uh, judgment, unkindness, thinking, just uh, anything along those, those kind of attitudes. We've got to make sure we keep those. We got into them more last week. But stop doing the things that are against the nature of God. Jesus modeled the Father for us here on earth, so follow his examples, as Paul put it. Be imitators of God. Jesus was an example of who God was. He'll help us with that. And study God's Word with the intent to understand God, His love, his nature, his responses, his wisdom, and so forth. The world will help you get to know its Father. The Word will help us to get to know our new Father. Be doing the things born of godly character. Be thinking the things born of godly character. And be speaking the things of godly character. If we do that, we will learn God. But so much of the enemy is gearing us against doing the things born of godly character, thinking the things born of godly character, and speaking the things born of godly character. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're up to verse 8. <clears throat> For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is the acceptable, what, what is acceptable to the Lord. So he says, once you were in darkness, well, were we all in darkness? If you were born in a Christian home, raised by Christian parents, were we in darkness? Apparently. Maybe some of us got out of that darkness sooner than others, but we were born into a darkness. Children are a lot more innocent. I think that darkness creeps upon us and begins to come down more on us as we have parents who are of the light. We tend to to move towards the light, but there comes a day when we make our decision to be children of light. In Colossians 1.9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's taken us out of darkness and He's put us into light in whom we have redemption through the blood and the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, we're walking in darkness. So we're not practicing the truth, we're practicing darkness. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. This verse tells us if we're going to have fellowship with Him, we have to walk in the light. So if I walk in darkness, I'm not having fellowship with Him. If I'm not having fellowship with Him, how can I imitate the right kind of behavior? I'm going to imitate the wrong kind. So no matter how much we think, well, the little bit of darkness I'm walking in is not going to hurt me. That is not correct. We are either walking in the light, as He is in the light, or we are not. Romans 13.11 And do this knowing the time that now is, is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is just another way of wording some of the things he's already said. But let us walk properly as in the day. In other words, walk in the light. Verse 13. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Those are some of the things that are works of darkness. Not in lewdness and lust. Those are other things that are of darkness. Not in strife and envy. Those are things that are of darkness. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. <clears throat> now, if you are out of fellowship with the Lord, you are in the flesh and walking in darkness. If you are out of fellowship with the Lord, you are in the flesh and walking in darkness. Different ones may be walking in different levels of darkness, but I'm still walking in darkness. I'm in the flesh. I wrote down this question. It's not in for, you, for you, but can one be in the flesh and not walk in darkness? With the verses that he's been talking about here, it seems like it's not possible for us to be in the flesh and not also walk in darkness. So if I pick up any of the flesh, I'm going to walk in some level of darkness. We don't want to be doing that. Paul says, walk as children of light, here in Ephesians. So we may not walk in complete darkness, but we're walking in more darkness than God wanted us to. Now, if you are in fellowship with the Lord, you are in the Spirit and walking in the light. That's where we want to be. Now, if we are in the Spirit, we may not be walking in all the light, but we are walking in the light. We pursue we are walking in light that we pursue and been illuminated with. That's the light I'm walking in. There's still more light for us to walk in. There's still light, more light out there for me to find. But I'm walking in the light of what I know now. If I walk in the light of what I know now, I am walking in the light. I don't have to know everything yet. I don't have to have all the illumination to be walking in the light. As long as I walk in the light of what I know now, I am walking in the light. I may be doing some things that I don't know are darkness, but because I don't know them, 
And because I'm walking in the light that I know, I'm walking in the light. That's what we need to say. Once you know a thing to be sin, and you walk in it, what are you doing? I'm sinning. But I'm not doing a sin of ignorance. I'm doing a sin of commission. I'm doing a sin of omission. I'm doing something deliberately to sin. That is what moves us into the area of darkness. The devil knows this. That's why he's going to try and get you there. The devil is not as, not as happy with us walking in sin if we don't know about it. It will hinder us, but not to the level of walking in sin that we know. I know this is sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. He knows that's, a, that's what brings us into darkness the most. Now in verse 8, let me read it again here for you. For you were once darkness, but now you are, ch- you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We've talked about this concept a number of times, but I just want to go over it with you again. I always have people who come by haven't, haven't heard this. But this verse contains two types of truth. There are two types of truth in the Word of God. Not better truth, less, less than truth, but there are two types of truth that are in the Word of God. One truth is called positional truth. Another one is called temporal truth. Any type of truth that you will find in the Word of God is one of those types. The reason we have two types, the reason we talk about it as two types, is if you don't understand that there are two types of truths, then you will misunderstand all truth. You have to understand there are two types of truth in the Word of God. Confusion on that issue leads us to, to walk in darkness in some things. Positional truth are the things that God has declared us to be. He has declared us to be righteous. Am I righteous? Am I walking in all the righteousness that I will ever walk in? Put it to you that way. No, there's still more righteousness I can walk in, but I am still declared to be righteous. The reason for that is, positionally, I am in Christ. And positionally, I have His righteousness. But temporally, I walk it out. Temporally, I am sanctified. But positionally, I am declared to be righteous. If you mix up positional and temporal truth, then you will come up with a doctrine that says, I don't need to do anything to walk in this. When you do, I just receive this. Or, I get into the other, other area, I try and earn the things that God has given me positionally. I try and earn His favor. I try and earn His forgiveness. There are things we do not earn from God, He gives us as a grace. He gives us because He declares it. That is positional truth. You are neither disqualified from it, nor did you qualify for it. When we are in Christ, we have those things. That's positional truth. So whenever you look at a truth in the Word of God, is it positional? Is it based on your position in Christ? If it's based on your position, then it's not based on your walk. If it's based on your walk, then it's not based on your position. Then you need to get your walk in line. Things that are temporal truths, if I don't walk the way I'm supposed to walk, it won't happen. You'll see these in the Word of God when He says, If you will do this, I will. This will. These things will, will go on. That's a temporal truth. It's not a positional truth. God has said, I will do this if you do these things. 
So we have to do those things that he says, and then we will reap what he, he tells us that we'll reap. But other, other things, he just says, this is, this is coming to you. Is there anything that you have to do to be part of the rapture in your walk? No, as long as you are in position, as long as your position is in Christ, when he comes and you're still alive, you go. It's regardless of your walk. Your walk has nothing to do because it's a positional truth. Because of who I am in Christ, when he comes, I'm out. Now, if I do things that affect my position, then that can certainly alter that. But that's where it is. We don't want to really get into that a whole lot here tonight. Just want to let you know, this verse talks about positional and temporal truth. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Why? Because you have been declared to be in the light. Because you have been declared by God to be righteous. To be in the light. So, since I've been declared to be that, now walk as children of light. The Word of God talks about that we have a calling. Now you need to walk to make your calling and election sure. But the calling is already there. That's a positional thing. I may not walk into it the way that I should be, but that calling is still there. But there's some aspects of the calling I won't walk in until temporarily I get things right. So anyway, there's two kinds of truth that way. Um, I hope I don't make that cloudy for you. But the Word of God, it, it's important that we know those two different kinds of truth because people get them confused all the time. And that's why some weird doctrines come out. Now, where do we leave off at here? Uh, we, do we leave off at Romans? Yes. All right. So, for you were once darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now, works for God can be produced whether we are in or out of fellowship, but only in fellowship are the works of the Spirit. You can do works for the Lord in the flesh. And what kind of reward do you get? We don't, get, we don't get a spiritual reward. If you do works for God, say that one of the examples in Scripture is if you gave money to God, but you did it to get the praise of men, the Word of God says, you got your reward. So there's no spiritual reward in it. You did it in the flesh. You did it for flesh reasons. You got a flesh reward. But if we do things in the Spirit, we receive a spiritual reward. But we can do things for God in or out of fellowship with God. We can do things for God in or out of the light. But only those things that we do in fellowship, only the things we, we do in the light, those are the works of the Spirit. That's what's carrying on. Now he says here in verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3.12, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So there's a whole lot of people in the family of God who think they've got works that are everlasting, and God says, let's see what happens when it passes through the fire. If anyone's work which he has 
built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So if the works that you did were of the flesh, they're going to be wood, hay, and straw, and they'll burn up in the fire. If you did them in the spirit, they're going to be gold, silver, precious stones. When they pass through the fire, they don't burn up. And that's where we need to be. But the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Those are the things we want to walk in. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is the accept, acceptable to the Lord. <clears throat> now, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord here, finding out or proving is simply revealing. When I find out, I'm simply finding the revelation. I'm getting it revealed to me. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. I've got to find out what to the Lord is acceptable. There's a lot of Christians who walk in what is acceptable to other Christians, but not necessarily acceptable to the Lord. And what is acceptable to the Lord for one Christian may not be acceptable for another. What was acceptable, not desired, not optimal, but what was acceptable for the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness was not acceptable for Moses and Aaron. They couldn't say, well, they were doing it. <laughs> that, won't, that won't work. So we've got to make sure that it's acceptable for me. But there's a, there's a finding out. There's a discovery process. I need to go after God. When we walk in the light, what is acceptable to the Lord is revealed to us. When we walk in the light. As I continue to walk in the light, more things are illuminated. Now, I cut out the rest of this because I really wanted to make sure we got a handle on this. There are times, and when this happens, I get frustrated with myself, but sometimes I take on too much in, in one, uh, one service, and then I get frustrated because I don't think I did a good job on any of it. did that on Sunday. I, was, uh, I packed too much in there. I felt like I didn't get a, a, a good handle on, on a whole lot of it, and I come out of there you know, frustrated because uh, I want to make sure we get the, get the thing across. So we pulled it back. We're just looking at a couple of verses because I want you to see this. When we hear him say, walk as children of light, not as children of darkness. I hear him teach that, but it will help me out a whole lot if I see it. If I can see somebody in scripture who was walking in the light and then walked in darkness, I can perhaps understand it better. So we're going to look at one example. I was thinking of several examples, but we're going to look at one example. And then at the end, I'm going to give you some other examples that you can think through your head and you can probably figure out. Uh, most of what we're going to show you with this. I love this story. We don't get into it a whole lot. We did get into it about a year and a half ago. Uh, so some of this might be review. Some of it might sound familiar to some of you. But this is a fantastic story on so many levels. We're not going to get into all the different levels of this story. But we are going to take a look at, at um, some of this. So we're going to look at the whole chapter of 1 Kings chapter 13. And someone who is uh, known as the unnamed prophet. Because we don't know his name. It's, it's simply that. Let's, let's go ahead and read the, read the story here. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now Jeroboam, of course, he's the guy who the kingdom of Israel, the northern tribes, was given to. And when he went over there, he said in his heart, children of Israel are going to go back to David. If they do that, they're going to kill me. So this is what I'll do. I'll set up two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Beersheba. I'm sorry, one in Bethel. And here he's at the, the southern uh, altar, which is Bethel. 
and he himself is offering the sacrifice. Then he cried out, this is the, uh, the prophet, then he cried out against the altar. Now he didn't cry out against the people, and he didn't cry out against Jeroboam, but it's kind of assumed that the people who follow after the altar are uh, included. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Arrest him. Then his hand which he stretched out toward him withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. And the altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Now just as a note here, when you see people go from one extreme to another, I love you, I hate you. I'm going to give you compliments, I'm going to tear you down. Whenever you see people go from one extreme to another, in a very short period of time. No, they do not do it by the inspiration of God, nor do they do it by walking in light. If you walk in the light, what is good is good. If you walk in darkness, what seems to be bad may turn out to be good. What seems to be good may turn out to be bad. This is why people in the news media are always going back and forth and switching on stuff because they don't walk in the light. There may be one or two of them out there that walk in the light. I just don't know them. But I don't know that many. They, they walk in darkness. They are hanging out with people who walk in darkness. This is what he does. He, he first, he says, arrest them. And then, oh, you need to come home to dinner with me. It, it just in, in minutes apart. Because that's how people of the world act. People of God do not act that way. You should not be swayed in a moment from love to anger. And hate. Should not be able to do that. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. Now the reason he says up to half his house is because a king, if he gave more than half the house, would no longer be king. So he's basically saying by using this phrase, and I don't know of any king who gave away half his house or a quarter of his house, but he's basically saying, if you were to give me all the way up to the point that you could still be king, I would not do it. Which basically says there's nothing you can give me. Just basically another way of, of saying it. But that phrase is, is kind of blind to us. If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, God may have told him that so that he wouldn't be killed on the way because he knew he would make some enemies. It may have been for his safety. It may have been for a, some kind of a demonstration, whatever it might be. 
But obviously the man of God had heard more from the Lord than he said at the altar. But he did not see the need to, re to reveal it. But now he does at least reveal some more. He may have heard more than this. We don't know. This is just what he tells us. What is interesting is this is one of the most exact prophecies of future events that we have in the Word up to this point. In fact, I don't think you're going to have anything surpass this until you see the, the likes of Daniel and Ezekiel. Those guys really had some very pointed, very exact future prophetic utterances. Now, other ones came up with some, uh, I mean, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they have some, uh, some uh, short prophecies that declare certain things to come about for the Messiah when he comes. But this is a very specific thing that would happen. And notice that the prophecy includes a sign. A sign for that for right then. Here's the sign that's going to come. Here's the sign that we're going to see. Now this man of God, he must be different from Ahijah. Ahijah is one of the other prophets that's mentioned in this time frame. But since his name is not mentioned, and Ahijah is mentioned in other places, more than likely... This is not Ahijah. Now, Ahijah, he showed up in chapter 11. So this must be somebody else. Now, I've, I think this is interesting because for all the prophets in the past, this is the most specific. This is for a far-reaching time. This is um, quite a bit in the future. And he calls the king by name. Josiah by name. Now, this prophecy had to be very disturbing to Jeroboam because Jeroboam, his fear is that the people are going to go back to David. And he says, Josiah will be born to the house of David. So that means that a king of the southern kingdom will come to this place, Bethel, and destroy this altar. That means somehow he has jurisdiction over this area. So to, to uh, Jeroboam, all his fears are, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Well, it happened because he listened to his fear and he ordered his behavior by it. He too was one who was walking in light and chose to walk in darkness instead. Now, um, when it says here he gave a sign, I've given you this in the past. I just wanted to give it to you again just to remind you of it. Signs are given to those who are in opposition to the things of God to turn them. When a sign is given, it's given to those that are in opposition. They're against the things of God. And the purpose of the sign is to turn them. Miracles are not signs. Signs are not miracles. Miracles are given to those who do not oppose the things of God, but willingly yield to what He says. Their purpose is to recover one to a better state. But what is needed to maintain that condition is not included. When you receive a miracle from God, it's basically like a jump start. If you have, if you have a car, and that car has, uh, has a dead battery, then you ask for someone to come and to give you a jump start. When they jump start your car, they gave you what you needed to get started but not what you need to continue. In order to continue, you need to get that car running for a little while so that the alternator can charge up the battery. Because the charge did not charge the battery, the charge started the car. The battery is still low.
so the alternator has to go for a while. Now, if your problem was the alternator, then it's not going to charge your battery, and if you turn your car off, you're done. In fact, you may not even have to turn your car off. You may be done before. <laughs> Depends on how bad a shape everything is in. But that's the difference. A miracle, it, it's kind of a jumpstart healing. And a lot of Christians get the jumpstart healing, but they don't do the things to maintain it. Brother Hagen had, uh, had taught this uh, quite, a, quite a bit. We've taught it here to you as, as well, that miracles are very often lost because people don't do the things to build themselves up to maintain it. And then thoughts and fears come to them. Oh, I didn't think I would get this pain anymore. Oh, I didn't think I'd, that this would occur this way anymore. And they lose it because they were not given in the miracle what is needed to maintain it. They needed to go out and to get that. Acts of faith restore little by little or sometimes in large chunks as faith grows. This is the good part. What is needed to maintain the new condition is picked up along the way. Most people that are healed by their faith, by an act of their faith, are less likely to lose it down the, load, down the road than someone who got healed at a miracle meeting. Now, those are not new things. We've given you all this sort of stuff before, but just wanted to, um, to go over it. Now, when you see Jeroboam, he gets angry at the prophet, and he points his finger, and of course, you know, the, the hand withered and so forth. And we've talked a little bit in this already about anger. There's anger, be angry and do not sin, so forth. There is anger that is from pride or prideful anger. This prideful anger, you can tell if you were in a prideful anger because you get angry at others and not yourself. Prideful anger gets mad at other people, but I'm all right. I did okay. False humility. Anger that comes from a false humility. You get angry at yourself, but not other, angry at other people. Well, they did that. It's probably my fault. You know, I probably did something that, that got them mad. And that's false humility. And that uh, you get mad at yourself. I shouldn't have done this. That's the wrong kind of anger either. Both are emotional. Both are an emotional anger. Humi humility, when you walk in humility... You can still get angry, and this is more the anger that you get angry and do not sin. It is a principled anger. You look to restore principles, not appease emotions. Prideful anger, false humility anger, you're looking to appease emotions. But principled anger, I want to restore principles that should be in operation that were not. Anger should be accompanied by words of correction. This will enact positive change. When God got angry at His people... He gave words of direction to, for them to bring about positive change. Examples of some scriptural anger. People who did this. Uh, Cain, he got angry at Abel. And then he got angry at God. He never got angry at Abel or at Cain. Saul got angry at Samuel. Then he got angry at David. Then he got angry at God. But he never got upset at Saul. Samson got everybody got angry at everybody not named Samson. You could, these are people that were operating in a prideful anger. 
Now, when the king makes this request, he says, first off, arrest that man, and then uh, his, his hand withers, and then he makes the request, would you appeal to God? Actually, it says, Lord, your God. Would you appeal to the Lord, your God, to heal me? That should tell everybody there that this God that we are sacrificing to is not Jehovah, and he's not as powerful as Jehovah. That should have told everybody there that. And they should have just forsaken it at that point. Now, he wished to reward the prophet, but the prophet refused based on the word he received from God. That's walking in the light. He ordered his behavior based on the light that he received from God. It's not the first time this man has done this thing. This man has been walking with God, ordering his behavior in the light of what God tells him. Otherwise, he would not have gotten a prophecy so specific about future events. God could trust him. God, he had built up a trust with God. So this is not a novice. In all the things he did, he ordered his behavior by the light God has spoken to him. He shows up. He is fearless. He stands on an enemy territory and declares a word against Jeroboam. With all Jeroboam's buddies around. With all Jeroboam's army around. He doesn't care. He speaks what God told him to speak. He says it exactly as God said. and It was a, it was a strong word. It was a harsh word. But he spoke it. He did exactly what God said to, to speak. And then when he was tempted, come on back, I'll give you a, a reward. Don't want your reward. God has told me this. He ordered his behavior. This is the man who walks according to light. He's a child of light. He is walking according to light. Verse 11. Now, an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, and they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the, the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? Now this tells you a whole lot of things inside this sentence, or inside this paragraph that may not jump out at you. But first off, the man is not at the sacrifice. His sons are. So that tells you that the man does not consider himself to be a follower of this false god. But his sons do. They do follow after this one. Most of the people who wanted to follow after God when Jeroboam split from the things of God, you remember what they did? They moved south. They moved into Judah. Most of the people who wanted to follow after God moved south. Why didn't this prophet move south and leave? It could be that his sons decided we're going to worship this one. We're staying here. And we're going to come under this worship. And so they were at the sacrifice. But the father didn't go. It may be that the father stayed behind because he didn't want to leave his sons. He didn't want to leave his family. Well, if they're going to choose to stay here, then I'm going to stay here and I'm going to try and walk into the things of God. So when the opportunity came to go to the sacrifice, he didn't go. But his sons did. And his sons saw which way that the man of God went. 
The sons are not ashamed that they were at the sacrifice. They didn't try and hide it from the father. So the father knows that they are going after these golden calves. So he says, saddle the donkey for me. Now, if you wonder why in the world does this guy want to go after him? Why does he want to go after this particular prophet? It may be he just wanted fellowship with people that were of the same spirit. He hasn't had that for a while. Maybe he just wanted that. Maybe it might be here's a, he, he was a prophet of God. He probably hasn't been now because God hasn't given him a word. Maybe he's just saying, this guy showed me up. I need to, I need to knock him down a few pegs. Because now people see him. Well, how come you used to do those sort of things? You used to walk this way. How come you're not? God had to go all the way down to Judah to get somebody instead of giving you the word. So we don't know what it was. We're not told. may not be important. So we're just left to suppose on, on some of that. But anyway, he sat on the donkey. And he rode on it, went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak tree. Now, the word that God gave him didn't say he couldn't sit down for a little while under an oak tree and get some rest. You walk under that hot sun, that's, uh, that's tough walking. And he asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. So he's got a second request. Come on over with me. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor can I go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. Now, some people might want to suppose that a, a demon spirit showed up as an angel and gave him this word, but no, that's not what happened. The Word of God says very clearly he was lying. That means what he's saying didn't actually happen. So we don't have to make any supposition of anybody showing up for him. No, we, he didn't have any of that time. He was over there talking to the sons. They told him what would happen. All right, I'm going. He didn't get no, he didn't get no visitation. He just went. So we know that it's a full outright lie. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table and the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back and he cried out to the man of God who came from, the, from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back and ate bread and drank water in the place to which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Now, I don't know about you, how many of you ever want to ask this question? Why does God use this prophet who just lied about hearing a word from God? I think the only answer you can come up with is, who else is God going to use? <laughs> There's no one else there. We can't use the sons. And as far as we know, it's just him and this, uh, him and, um, this prophet. I wonder, and what to wait till we get to heaven, when this man came back and the sons saw the prophet came back, I wonder if they ran off to Jeroboam and let him know. I don't know. But if Jeroboam wanted him, and these guys know where he is, maybe they did. We never hear that Jeroboam came out there. 
So, let's see. Verse 23. So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him. The prophet whom he had brought back when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. His corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. And they went and they told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now lions, I don't know if you know a whole lot about lions. Maybe you do. Maybe you, maybe you know more about lions than I do. But one thing I do know about lions is lions are lazy. They are lazy animals. If they don't need to do it, they don't do it. Only if they have to. So they only hunt if they're hungry. If they're not hungry, you know what a lion's doing? Sleeping, laying around. Yeah, we don't need to do nothing. Why in the world are we going to waste all that energy? No, if we need to go out there and hunt, we'll go out there and hunt. If we don't need no food, we're taking it, we're taking a nap. We're, we're taking it easy. We're just kind of watching the scenery. Lions are lazy. So when you've got a lion who goes out there and he kills the donkey, or sorry, kills the, uh, kills the man, and he doesn't eat it, that's odd. Because a lion only kills when they're hungry. And then when they do kill, they don't sit there by the road next to the, the thing they killed. They go and they drag their prey back to wherever it is they feel safe and they feel comfortable, and then they get back there and then they eat it. I bring it back for all the all the group there, and they. If I remember right, I believe that uh, the the ladies of the pack do most of the hunting. <laughs> the men do the defending. If they have to defend, they'll they'll do that. But the, uh, the the female lions will do most of the hunting. So we got this lion, and he's killed this this one, and then the donkey stands right next to the thing too. Now, most donkeys, when they see a lion, what would they do? Well, they would run because lions can eat donkeys. In fact, I would think lions have an easy time with donkeys because donkeys aren't that fast. But I could be wrong. Maybe donkeys can stomp on them a little bit or kick them or whatever it might be. But anyway, this people are walking by. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking by the road and I see a lion, I may want to take the wide way around. <laughs> I've seen a few videos of some of the running sites that I'm on, <clears throat> two in particular of late, of where runners who were running in some trails had an encounter with a mountain lion. And uh, both of the runners did the same thing to uh, overcome it, but they were terrified. And uh, it seemed that the mountain lion was more protective of their, uh, where they were living. And I guess they had, probably had some young ones there. And it seemed like they were more interested in driving them off than they were about eating these, these people. But it went on for a couple of minutes and uh, trailed them, followed this, this runner through the... And he had his, his camera going on his phone, doing what he was doing. I don't know if I would have cared about having the camera going, but... <laughs> he, he had the camera going, and he got to see this, this whole thing. But that is certainly something that you, that you think about when you're going on through this. I've run into a few snakes, but never any, um, any mountain lions. 
I've run into some critters. I don't know what they were. Uh, I didn't recognize them. But um, I, I didn't try and go up and find out what they were doing, who they were. But I'm just, I think about those kind of stories when I encounter this, this one. Because if I'm walking by and I see a lion sitting there, it, I, I, I just, I wouldn't be walking right by the lion. Usually where you see one lion, there's more. They don't usually tra- travel singularly. Uh, because one lion can get caught by a pack of hyenas and they would be no match for a pack of hyenas. So lions go in groups so they don't get trapped in, in that particular way because hyenas uh, travel in packs too and they can take on a lion and they'll win if the lion's by himself. So uh, they, lions don't like to stay by themselves. They like to lazy around by their home and only go out when they need to get some food. So this is a very unusual thing. When people are going by, did you see that? Down there on the road, there's a lion sitting next to this guy. And some of them may have recognized him as being the prophet. I think that was the prophet who came by and gave the word. And the donkey, sitting right next to him. Donkey here, dead body, lion. Never seen that before. This is quite remarkable. Well, the guy didn't give the sign that God wanted to give, and so he, he brought it about this way. People are talking about it now. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey. Can you imagine if you're the prophet, and you just did this with God's word, and you got a lion that just executed the judgment of God on the prophet? And you walk on the scene? <clears throat> How many are thinking that lion might have a, a second assignment? I would have thought so. But apparently, the prophet, the young prophet, was walking in the light of some things. And this guy was walking in enough darkness that he wasn't subject to the same thing as one who was of light. Keep that in mind. You'll see that in other places in Scripture too. If we have light in our life and we don't walk accordingly, it doesn't go well. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, brought it back so the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And so it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his sons. These are the sons that aren't worshiping God. They're worshiping the golden, golden calves. Saying, When I am dead... Then bury me in a tomb where the man of God is buried. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like a stupid request. Why in the world does he have to tell the sons to bury him in his own tomb? What he built the tomb for? He built the tomb for himself. It says that he laid the corpse in his own tomb. 
Well, that's his tomb. Where are they going to bury, bury him? I'm not quite so sure. I think he's just making more of a show out of this because he probably feels guilty for all the stuff that he did. He probably didn't think it was going to cost the man his life. But it's a stupid request in my book. When I am dead, then bury me in a tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones for the same which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines of the high places which are in the city of Samaria will surely come to pass. Now, I didn't see a note on this. When you see these references to Samaria, anybody know who built Samaria? It was not Jeroboam. In fact, this is the king who will come much later. I forget whether it was Ahab. I think it may have been Ahab who built Samaria. But the city of Samaria was not, an ex was not in existence. There may have been a town that was there. But the city of Samaria is built much later and becomes the capital of the northern, northern kingdom. That's not the case right now. Now, that's not an inconsistency in the Word of God. I'm not pointing that out to you for this. What this is, is the person who wrote this book knew about Samaria and knew the area where this is is the area that would become Samaria. So in order to tell it to his readers who are reading, they know this area as Samaria. So for him to refer to it as what it was then wouldn't help his readers now. So if you ever see that or ever hear anybody talk about that inconsistency, and it's not an inconsistency in the Word, the person who wrote this is writing down the history of what had happened, much like Moses wrote down the history of things that happened way before his time. This person is writing down the history of things that happened way before their time. These are not written down as they are happening. They were passed on, and then they were eventually written down for us to, to have. But that's an uh, interesting, interesting part about Samaria being mentioned here. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for high places. Whoever wished, he concentrated him, consecrated him and became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was a sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Now, there are two ways to walk in darkness. Two ways to walk in darkness. The first way is to go against the light given. first way that you can walk against darkness is to go against the light that God has given you. Every person has a certain amount of light. Even people that have not turned their life over to God have a certain amount of light. If you go against whatever light that you have, that is walking in darkness. Now, if you are in complete darkness, just a little bit of light helps you out. You don't need a whole lot of light when you're in a little bit of dark, when you're in complete darkness. Just a little bit of light can get you around. I've got a flashlight that gets me around at nighttime. That it has a uh, setting on it that if you, you can hold it, no matter what it was set on before, if you hold that one button down for a few seconds, it's going to come on in what it calls a moonlight. And it's just one lumen. One lumen. But one lumen, when there's no light out there, is all the light you need and it doesn't wake anybody else up. But it gives you all the light you need to be able to get around and, and move around. 
There are people who have light of one lumen, but they need to walk according to that light. And some of them are turning that off. Now then you can keep on going and getting more light, and then you walk in the illumination that is there. But that's the first way. Go against the light that is given. The second way is to go where the light didn't illuminate. If you are going outside at night and you have an outside light on your house and you flip on that light, we've got a light that goes illuminates the back area. Sometimes I have to go into far backyard and get some wood. Well, that light will illuminate basically the, the area that is uh, the concrete area of our backyard. But where the wood is, it's beyond the concrete. So it goes, goes beyond that. You can go to a place that is not illuminated by the light that you have. That will be walking in darkness. Two ways to walk in darkness. One, go against the light that you have or go where the light didn't give illumination. This prophet does both. He did both things in this one. He had the Word of God that told him what to do and how to, how to walk. And he went against it when someone came and said, I too had a word from God. An angel came and appeared to me. And he went against the light that was given. And then he went home with the man. We can go against the light that is given and we can go where the light did not illuminate where the light, light did not uh, show us. Other light will come along and help us out. Now sometimes we are on guard against those who oppose or compromise the Word of God and let it down with those who claim to revere it. If I have somebody, you know, if I come into somebody from the news media and I know they detest the things of God, my guard is up. And when they try and tell me something against the light that God has given me, my guard is up. Mm -mm, not, I'm not receiving that. I'm not receiving that. But then somebody may come from maybe another church or another place. Oh, I know about that church. And I let my guard down a little bit. Oh, the Lord showed me this. The Lord told me this. And they may speak something to me that goes against what God told me. But they may be able to say, well, I had this experience it's at nighttime, I had a vision, angels showed up. Wow. Well, I didn't have anything like that. And if I begin to operate in the light that they have, I can go out to where I don't have light given, or I can go against the light that I have. If the enemy cannot move you by those who are against you, he will try with those who are for you. The enemy doesn't care what you give into just that you give in. Now, too often, you have room for this in your outline, but it's important. I've given it just in the past. I'm giving it to you again. Too often, Christians are found seeking after a word from God instead of walking in the light of what has been revealed. Too often, Christians are found seeking after a word from God instead of walking in the light of of what has been revealed. If God has given you light, order your behavior by that light as if no other light exists. 
because that's what he gave you to order your behavior by. Somebody else may come in and say, an angel told me. Don't listen to it. Because if you do, you could be walking in darkness. God gave you this. Yeah, but so-and-so got this word and they showed me in Scripture. What did God tell you to do? This is what you need to do. Apparently, there's a whole lot of other people that are eating in the land of northern tribes and are doing just fine. They weren't given that word. This man was given this word. Do not eat anything in the land. You need to go there, deliver the message, and then come back. And don't come back by the same way. He didn't operate according to that word. He let somebody else's light come in and change him. Well, look at all these other people that are eating here in the land. They're doing fine. It doesn't matter. That wasn't the word that God spoke to him. What is the word that God spoke to you? You may have God speak to you a word that says you are to eat vegetables only. Don't impose that word on anybody else. You may have a word from God that says you're only supposed to eat meat. Well, great. Don't impose that word on anyone else. That's your word. That's what God spoke to you. The word that God speaks to you will have great power in your life. But if God spoke a word to someone else and he didn't speak it to you, it does not mean it will have power in yours. Just because somebody else did such and such and they got healed, doesn't mean if you do such and such, you'll get healed. They got healed because they obeyed God and they did what God said. You need to obey God to do what you said, what he said for you to do. Now after all this, we found out in the Word, no change came to the hearers of the prophecy. Can you imagine that? All this stuff went on. The altar gets split. That's one of the signs he said this altar is going to split. The altar split right there. Dust poured out all over. Ashes. That extra sign with him with the, with the arm only came about because he, in anger, pointed at the, the man of God. And the man of God didn't have to say anything about it. It just, it just came about. And that was a sign to people too. They saw this happen to his arm and then they saw it be restored. And that was a sign. That was just a, kind of an extra sign that was, that was thrown in. But that was the, the short-term sign for the long-term prediction. They didn't listen. A lot of prophets here today. They don't want to follow the rules that are in the Word of God. Or the pattern, I should say. Not really rules, but the pattern that's in the Word of God. When God gives a prophecy about something that is coming long term down the road, He generally gives a sign short term. Something that you can get your, your faith into. Because most times that He's given this kind of a prophecy, He's given it to people that are against the things of God. Now, not only in this situation, but, other, but also in others, God does not see them as rejecting the light, even though He knew they would. God knew they weren't going to receive it. But he didn't see them as rejecting the light until they actually did. And until they actually walked in, the, in that. That's when, they, that's when it would show up. The, um, let me see. I'll make sure I think. I thought, there was a, I thought there was something I was supposed to give you. But I don't 
I don't see that I may have cut it out and put it into a, another spot. Who knows? Now this man, this, this prophet, he does not walk in darkness when he hears the contrary word. When he hears the old prophet come to him and declare this false word, this man is not walking in darkness. Just because you hear something that is false does not mean you are walking in darkness. When he began to contemplate it and began to think about it, because you have to do that before you act on it, when he began to think about it, this man is not walking in darkness. When he began to walk in darkness is when he ordered his behavior by the false light that came to him. This is when Christians walk in darkness. When we order our behavior based on false light. When people decide that their lifestyle that is against what God has said is okay because, and they give their reasons, they have ordered their behavior by a false light. And they are walking in darkness. Now, they don't think they're walking in darkness. They weren't walking in darkness when the thought came to them, you know, you can live this way, you can do this. That wasn't walking in darkness. They weren't walking in darkness until they walked in the darkness. You may think about walking in darkness, but apparently that's not walking in darkness. If this man, this prophet, would have thought about contemplating, listening to the old prophet, maybe even had a discussion with him, and then finally just said, you know what, no, I'm going to stay with what God said to me, and I'm going to keep on going, and kept on going down the road, he would have been fine. But because he ordered his behavior based on the light that this one gave him, even though it was a false light, he accepted it as a real light, he was held responsible for it. Again, this is not a novice. This is a person who has walked in light. This is a person who has listened to the things of God. God has used him in the past. And there is no prophet up to his time who has been used in a stronger way with, as far as giving an accurate prophecy of something that was to come. But he decided to walk in darkness. doesn't matter how mature you are in God, you can still walk in the things of darkness. When darkness, when false things come to us, whether they are presented by someone against the things of God or whether they are presented by someone who seems to be for the things of God, it makes no difference. We, as children of light, should recognize the darkness. He should have recognized, wait, God spoke to me and an angel spoke to you? I think I'm going to stay with what God told me. And he should have stayed with it. He had enough information right there. He, if he was thinking about this, why didn't he come up with the question, if God was going to give you a word for me, why didn't he give you the word for Jeroboam? Why did he go all the way down to, Ju to, to uh, Judah to get me to come up here and deliver it? And see, once you start asking questions like that, then the whole darkness thing begins to fall apart. That's why darkness doesn't like you to ask questions. 
why darkness wants you to just accept what's going on. Don't question it, just accept it. Because if you question it too much, it begins to fall apart. He could have had this person's thing fall apart just by asking a couple of questions. You remember a story in the Bible where Jeremiah was asked the question, should we remain in the land after the leader was killed? And he went away, and I think it was ten days he came back, and he gave him the answer. He says, yo, the Lord says stay. And they said, you're lying. You did not hear from God. We are fleeing to Egypt. And he knew. I knew that you weren't sincere, but God still gave them the light. They had heard in themselves from fear, we need to leave the land of Israel and flee to Egypt. And Jeremiah said, no, you don't. And they uh, were not ready to hear it. See, they had already accepted darkness. So when they heard the light, they rejected it as darkness. You didn't hear from God. People will do that here today. Once because they have accepted the things of darkness, they will reject the things that are light. Now, are there great repercussions for children of light who walk in darkness? Well, if you are a child of light who is walking in darkness, you would stand out among those in darkness. You've you got a target on you. You've got all these people in darkness and you're walking amongst them, but you're a child of light. You've got that little bit of light on you. And that little bit of light will attract attention. If you're going to get out there with the people of darkness, you're going to be walking among darkness, you are going to stand out among those that are in darkness. You'll become a more desirable target and you will be a bigger accomplishment for the kingdom of darkness to take down. It's no big deal for the kingdom of darkness to take down a son of darkness. But it's a big deal to take down the sun of light. The light that you have can become dimmed or lost completely. If you are a child of light and you decide to walk in darkness, the light that you have can become dimmed or lost completely. The calling and gifts given could be lost or weakened. How many people have you seen in the Bible? Samson was one. He had a great call in his life, but that call was almost was completely lost for what it was supposed to do and was greatly weakened for the time that he was here. Saul, his call was lost for what it was supposed to be. And while he was here, he was greatly weakened. Judas, his call was lost. And while he was here, what he was doing was greatly weakened. There's other people who were children of light who walked in darkness. Cain, was he not one who walked in the light? But then began to order his behavior in the area of darkness. Korah was one who started in light but listened to some things and came into darkness and he and many others lost their lives. Solomon walked in great light but then because of the many wives that he had and the idols that he brought into the land came into darkness. Jeroboam we've talked about here. Judas certainly was one of light but came into a place of darkness. Those who forsook Paul for false doctrine walked in light but eventually along the lines they accepted something a doctrine of demons as Paul would put it 
they accepted it as truth, they accepted it as light, and it eventually brought them into great darkness. How about some of those that were in the seven churches? Doesn't the Word of God speak of them as having light, but having walked over into darkness? There are great consequences for us if we leave the light and walk in the darkness. You will walk in the darkness not because you heard, not because you thought, but because you ordered your behavior in the ways of darkness. It's not beneficial for you to hear wrong things. It is not beneficial for you to think on wrong things. But they are not the same thing as walking in wrong things. When we walk in the wrong things, when we order our behavior in that area, it has an effect upon our life that is greater than all the others. This is why Paul is spending so much time on this and exhorting them, you have got to remain in the light. Positionally, you have been put into a place of light. Now, temporally, you need to walk as a child of light. There are great consequences for us if we don't. We have many more examples in the Word of God. Your own mind can begin to think about the people in the Old Testament. It tells us some people who walked in light and moved over the darkness. It tells us other people who never accepted the light and walked in darkness. You are a child of light. There are many people in the body of Christ right now who see themselves as a child of light, who show up at church all the time, who serve in the ministries of that church, but are ordering their behavior after darkness. And everything they do is a flesh act and will burn up when they get to the other side. Everything they do. We are not to be children of darkness. But oh, when we walk in the light and we order our behavior in the light, our way is illuminated and the traps that the devil sets up, the, the uh, deceptions that he throws our way, the things that he does to try and steal our joy, put our body in the bondage, all this sort of thing, it's all exposed because we're in the light. He can't get close to us with any of his stuff because as soon as he makes entry to us, the light exposes who he is. But if he can get you to walk into his kingdom, to get in the area of darkness, then through the darkness he can conceal some of the things he wants to unleash upon you. And you won't see it coming. Because he knows in the area of darkness he has more freedom to get you. One of the things that Jesus would say about him, and he even said this when he... Uh, when he went back into the city where Lazarus was and Lazarus had died. In fact, that city was so hostile to, to Jesus that the disciples themselves, they said, why would you go back there? They want to kill you. And when Jesus says, no, we're going back, and he says, makes that statement, when you walk in the day, you don't trip, you don't fall. And it was a really bizarre statement that he made. And it puzzled the disciples. But they said in the end, well, let's go and die with them. And so they went on out. But you see, Jesus saw the trap that was set up. And we spent time on that before, Ken. Don't have time for it now. They saw the trap that was set up. But he got in there because God showed him this is how you avoid 
the trap that the devil has set up. And he skirted it and accomplished a great thing for God. When you walk as light, when you walk as children of light, you are not fearful of what is in your way. You're not fearful of what is to come because you walk in the light. And God exposes all the things that are coming against you. Father, we thank you that we are children of light and that we walk as children of light. The devil has no chance to sneak up on us when we stay in the light. So he continually tries to pull us in the darkness. But we don't have to go. And I thank you that we can learn how not to go into the ways of darkness. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.